Welcome to Lightning in a Bottle, a podcast that addresses the needs of business owners before, during, and after they sell their company. As a business owner, you owe it to yourself, your family, and your employees to know your options, to be informed, and to plan early. We hope you enjoy this program, and if you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line by visiting our team's website at www.ubs.com forward slash ATX. This is your host, Josh Pottinger, and joining me is my longtime business partner, Jason Chorgianis, and together we run ATX Wealth Partners, a private wealth management team here focused on being a trusted resource for business owners, entrepreneurs, and the professional advisors that surround them. Jason, welcome. How are you? Good afternoon, Josh. I'm well, and yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about our guest today, Edward Fowler. Edward, are you there? Hello, Josh. Hello, Jason. How are you today? Thank you for having me on the show. Good afternoon. Good deal. Well, thank you for hopping on a call with us. Given the circumstances, we're we're doing this remotely here. Normally, we'd be doing this in, in person. So just a quick high-level overview on what we're going to be covering today. Today's conversation is, is all about business valuation and what you need to know to avoid some costly mistakes. And according to, to CNBC, 78% of business owners expect to fund their retirement through the sale of their business. Yet, according to the IBIS World Industry Report, 98% of them haven't had an appropriate valuation done on their business, which seems pretty crazy. The fact that they're relying on such an important asset and don't really have a good idea of what the current value is. So, which is one of the big reasons why we wanted to bring Edward on the show today. Edward Fowler's with Briggs and Veselka. Edward has over 30 years of experience with a background in management consulting, accounting, investment banking, and business valuation, of course. Suffice to say, Edward knows his stuff. So, Let's go ahead and kick it off, guys. Sounds great. Thank you. I figured we'd kick off the podcast here just by walking through some of the reasons that an owner would want to conduct a business valuation. So, Edward, maybe kind of walk us through a couple scenarios here. Yeah, sure. We do a lot of valuations for a lot of different purposes. Probably the most often reason we do a business valuation is going to be for either a you know, gift or estate tax planning or, or estate tax reporting, mergers, acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, we can come in and help. And then sometimes you may need a fairness opinion to determine that transaction is fair from a financial point of view. You may, that may be involving a change of a controlling interest in a business where you're buying or selling 100%. Or you may have a situation where you're buying or selling an individual shareholder's stock where Somebody may be retiring or you need to buy somebody out. So not necessarily a change of control, but maybe a, an acquisition of a minority interest in a business. We value businesses for employee stock ownership plans. We value businesses when they're issuing stock options to employees. And under 409A of the revenue code, you have to have the strike price be at fair market value. So there's really no tax consequences. Sometimes when a company is valued, when somebody acquires a company, it needs to be valued for financial reporting purposes under accounting standards. To comply with GAAP accounting, you need to report the acquired company on your balance sheet at fair value. And we'll go in and assist with there, you know, valuing certain intangible assets that you might be buying. And then, of course, we do some litigation support work where shareholder A may need to be bought out because somebody triggered the buy-sell agreement. 
kind of a business divorce or a marital dissolution where if a couple owns a business and they're they're getting divorced, they have to divide up the marital assets. So, so they need to determine the value of the business. And of course, if you own a business, you may have suffered some sort of economic damage and we can do lost profits and damage calculations. But you know, a lot of the work we do is good, solid blocking and tackling valuation work for gifts and estate tax or transactions. And, and we do a lot of, a lot of different things. I'll say we're kind of valuation specialist and industry and purpose generalist. Thank you, Edward. That was a great overview on some of the reasons to conduct a business valuation. So moving along here, let's kind of move into some of the definitions of value, such as like fair market value or investment value. And why is that important to understand from a business owner's perspective? Sure, sure. Most of the valuations we do are done under the standard value, which is fair market value. And and fair market value is defined as the price expressed in terms of cash equivalents in which property would change hands between a hypothetical willing and able buyer and a hypothetical willing and able seller when they are acting at arm's length in an open and unrestricted market and when both have no compulsion to buy or sell and when both are reasonably knowledge of the relevant facts. That is the standard of value most commonly used. It's used to get an estate tax, it's used for transactions, buyouts, et cetera. A lot of buy-sell agreements say it's going to be fair market value. The important point is it's a hypothetical buyer and seller. It's kind of the man from the street. It assumes the prevailing economic conditions at the time of the valuation. So it's really more from a financial perspective. What is the fair market value of this to, quote unquote, the man or the person from the street? And that's distinguishable from investment value, which is really the value to a particular investor. And that can actually include some strategic. So if somebody really wants your business because it's a, it's a perfect add-on to their product or service line, they may have a strategic purpose that they're willing to come in and, and perhaps pay more than fair market value. Or they may have some synergistic savings where they could come in and perhaps save on trucking because they can put your product on the same trucks and deliver them to the same clients. They may have some cost savings or they may be able to eliminate some of the, the back office staff and have some cost savings. So it's the value to a particular investor. And that could be different from fair market value, which is that hypothetical willing buyer, willing seller from the street, looking at it a little bit more from a financial perspective. Edward, if I may, this is Jason. It just so happens we've been privy to some of your work as we've reviewed your valuation work on behalf of various clients. And a recurring theme is your varied approach to coming up with a fair market value and your reports, which are, matter of fact, one came through last night, I think it was close to 150 pages, and you discussed various valuation approaches such as asset approach, a market approach, an earnings approach, and you spoke to why one may or may not be appropriate for a particular situation. Can you open up the hood to that a little bit for our audience and discuss why one approach may or may not be a good fit? No, absolutely. I will say there's three generally accepted valuation approaches. The asset approach, the market approach, and the income approach. The asset approach is when you look at the balance sheet as reported on your financial statements and you adjust the assets to their respective fair market values. So you mark all the assets to their market values. You mark the liabilities to their market values if they're something different than what's reported on the balance sheet. Then if you subtract 
the fair market value of the liabilities from the fair market value of the assets, you end up with the value of the equity and an indication of the fair market value of the company stock. That's the asset approach. And we typically would use that if we're valuing a holding company that's not really an operating business, or if we're valuing a company that's an operating business and you're valuing 100% of that business, and it may be that that company's worth more in liquidation than it would be as a going concern. That being the case, we don't use that approach very much for going concern businesses. We do use that approach when we're valuing holding companies, like I said, and a lot of those holding companies may be partnerships such as family limited partnerships that own real property or marketable securities. We'll take their balance sheet. We'll adjust it to fair market value. We'll get down to the pro rata share of that value of equity on a fair market value basis. And because if it's a minority limited partnership interest or a minority membership interest in an LLC, a limited liability company, it's subject to discounts for lack of marketability and lack of control to get to fair market value. The market approach is when you go out to the market and you look for indications of value based on actual transactions in the company that you are valuing. You may have a situation where the company you're valuing just recently bought out some shareholders or they recently received several offers to purchase the company. You can look to those indications of value to say, well, those are good. If they're good arm's length indications of value, that's a pretty strong indication of the fair market value of that, that business or business interest. If you don't have transactions in that subject company, we look to the market and thus the market approach. And we look to the market to say, are there any publicly traded companies that are comparable enough to this business in terms of size and markets and profitability and various factors ago, can we go to the public markets and see what the stock of those businesses are trading for in terms of pricing multiples, such as price revenues, price earnings, in which their stock's trading for, and how would that relate to the value of our particular business? You can also look to sales of 100% of private uh, companies, and we subscribe to a number of merger and acquisition databases that provides us that data, where sales of typically controlling interest in privately held companies that data is submitted by merger and acquisition professionals or business brokers. And there's a couple of databases we subscribe to. And again, we'll look to those businesses and those databases to find transactions of very similar businesses with similar revenue size and profitability. What did they trade in terms of price to revenues or price to earnings or price to EBITDA being earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. So Really, the market approach is trying to look out to the market for indications of value as to what the value of the business you're, you're valuing may be worth. And the income approach is, at a high level, it's a present value, future expected benefits. And we usually measure the benefit stream in terms of cash flow. So a lot of the work that we do as valuation professionals is look through the accounting to get down to cash flow. That's really where the rubber hits the road. That's what the business owner gets to take home at the end of the day in their pocket. So what the income approach is doing is it's trying to determine how much cash flow can your business reasonably be expected to generate in the future. And if you're going to buy that business, what type of rate of return would you want on your investment anticipating those future cash flows, considering the risks of that investment versus other investments in the market. A follow-up to that in regards specifically to the earnings approach, 
when a client provides the company's projections, let's say through and including years 2023, 2024, do you take those projections at face value without any pushback or do you weigh a probability of success? Now, we will always ask questions and make sure we understand, one, the premise of the projections. I mean, we start our valuation analysis with an analysis of the historical financials. And the historical financial, particularly the operating performance of the business, we study it, but it's really only as good as it helps you predict the future and what's a normal anticipated cash flow stream going forward. So we look at the past, understand the operations of the business, its profitability. We like to go out and visit management, do a site visit, learn about the business, really do a, a deep dive and understand it. And then we'll get the projections from the management and we'll compare it to the history and we'll go, okay, why is it, why is this factor different? Or why is that factor different? Not necessarily questioning the projections per se as much as understanding the projections and why. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want to know what's the riskiness of being able to achieve those projections. And the riskiness of being able to achieve those projections is going to have a direct relationship to what type of rate of return you want. The higher the risk of those projections not being made indicates that, well, that's a lot more uncertainty. I'm going to want a higher rate of return on my investment in that business because I don't believe these projections as much. I mean, it lowers the value because a higher rate of return requirement ultimately results in a lower value you're going to get for your business. So what I tell business owners is you can have high yield, optimistic, pessimistic, most likely, but I'm going to focus on the most likely. I'm always wanting to get the best estimate of future financial performance we can get. And the more supportable that is, the more reasonable that is, the more comfort a buyer would have in those financial projections. And therefore, they probably should have a little bit lower rate of return requirement, which should translate into a higher value to the business owner. Mm-hmm. It just so happens in regards to this valuation report that was uh, provided to us last night, the fair market value for this particular company was less than the IPO exit. It was less than the liquidation value. It was less than even the arm's length recent transactions that had taken place within a somewhat recent proximity, not much less than the third of those, the recent transactions. But I noticed that you had attributed 40% of your fair market value weighting to the recent transactions, 20% to an IPO exit, 20% to a liquidation scenario. And then you attributed a 20% weighting to what if the company doesn't achieve its goals, where all the, the value is allocated to the preferred shares with no value flowing down to the common share. So on that note, that 40-20-20-20 ratio, if you will, is that pretty standard or do those weightings vary much depending on the particular situation that you're assessing? I would say it's very fact and circumstance driven. As long as you are staying within the three generally accepted valuation approaches. Mm -hmm. I believe the valuation you're referring to was a high-tech startup type of business. And Correct. we might be in here in Austin, we valued a number of those types of businesses. That's the type of business that if it works out, it's going to be great for everybody. It's a venture capital backed business, but you also have to recognize that, you know, 80% of venture capital backed investments don't work out as planned. Right. The 10%, which are out of the park home runs end up paying for the other 90%, which either break even 
or moderate, moderately successful, break even, get your money back, or outright failures. So when we looked at that particular scenario, yes, we had some transactions in the actual company stock between knowledgeable investors, and therefore we put the most weight to it at being a market approach indication of value. Ran some income projections, and frankly, we put, I think if, if I recall this report correctly, we put 20% weight on, you know what? This company never makes it an IPO. It ultimately does not work out, and we were valuing the common stock of the company, and if the company doesn't work out, well, with the preferred stock that they had in place and the preferred stock preferences, such as preferred dividends and accrued preferred returns, ultimately the common shareholders wouldn't receive anything unless mm-hmm. this may. It's relatively high financial projections going forward. How long does it take you from start to finish to do something like this? I mean, I know that it depends on on the sector, the size of the business, and I guess the maturity of the business, but generally speaking, what do you typically budget? Generally speaking, it takes four to six weeks to do evaluation, but that's highly dependent upon getting the necessary information. Yeah, that can be a bottleneck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and what we have on our platter at the time, but you know, we get the information in, we like to get working on it. Typical turnaround time is going to be four to six weeks with the wild cards being getting the necessary information. And yes, to your point, it's a very complex company. If it has multiple subsidiaries or if it has a complex capital structure, that can take some more time to analyze. Or we may have just typically pretty busy, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And what we have going on all at that time. Right. Good work there. The other topic I wanted to bring up in, in our conversation today is in our own experience and working with, with our business owner and entrepreneur clients, a lot of owners tend to focus in on that quantitative, on the quantitative factors like revenue and, and expenses versus some of the qualitative aspects like strength of the management team and uh, having systems and processes in place, the culture. So I wanted to bring up some of the more qualitative aspects and how that plays into your decision and, and how that affects valuation. Just to give folks kind of a, a heads up on that part. Sure. I think a good place to start that discussion is under fair market value and under valuations, uh, a lot of them are done for tax purposes. They obviously get them state tax type related issues, but there's a revenue ruling the IRS put out a long time ago called Revenue Ruling 5960. And a quote from Revenue 5960 is this, a sound valuation will be based on all the relevant facts, but the elements of common sense, informed judgment, and reasonableness must enter into the process of weighing those facts and determining their aggregate significance. So to your point, yes, what we do is grounded in accounting and finance, but at the end of the day, it has to make sense. You have to look at those qualitative factors and consider them in the context of this business, this industry, its management, its outlook. And really does, at the end of the day, does this valuation make sense for the business and what you are valuing? I will say revenue nine, revenue ruling 5960 has eight specific factors that anybody ought to consider in evaluation. And most valuation reports will cite these eight factors, which are the history nature of the business, the economic outlook for the company, as well as the specific industry, the book value of the interest and the financial condition of the business, its earning capacity, its dividend paying capacity, the value of the intangible assets, such as goodwill, are there any prior sales of the firm's stock and the market value of other firms that are traded actively 
in a free and open market. Those are the eight factors which the IRS a long time ago laid out that ought to be considered. I would say that other factors we consider that can in fact impact the value of the businesses and the form of the organization. Is it a partnership, an LLC, a corporation? A lot of that has to do with tax purposes, but how is this business formed? Does this business have any seasonal or cyclical factors? Is it that you're valuing an ice cream business and it, it may sell a lot more ice cream during the summer, during the winter, just for example? Obviously, what is products and services? What's the competition? Are there any geographical diversification issues? Is it somebody that has a, a single location or does it have multiple locations? How far does it reach? Are there any barriers to entry? Do you have any patent protection? Management depth. And what happens if the business owner sells a business and retires? Is there other management debt to take its place? That's an important factor. Obviously, major assets or regulatory environment. Are there contingencies, potential lawsuits for or against the business that may impact its company, the value? Are there any off-balance sheet assets or liabilities? And one way you can frame a business is by Porter's five factors. It's quite old, but it's, it's quite popular in the financial press, and it's, it deals with the five forces that impact the business. The bargaining power of buyers, the bargaining power of suppliers, rivalry amongst industry firms, so competition, substitute products, and the threat of new entrants, say barriers to entry. So the buyers, suppliers, competitors, substitutes, barriers to entry, just kind of a way to to look at a business within its own little ecosystem and where it operates and what forces is it is it dealing with. There's a lot of variables <laughs> there. That's uh, I can I can see how how I mean I'm getting overwhelmed, but that's the value of having somebody that's been doing this for three decades and because it does sound like it's it's mostly science, but there is an element of art in there in engaging some of that. Edward, when you're called in to perform valuation work and you are putting this company through an x-ray, unlike they go through otherwise, typically, how often does your valuation morph into a business advisory hat where there are some issues that pop up that in your mind are so glaring? Do you proactively offer your unsolicited opinion? Or do you just stick to the framework of valuation work and and do that particular job and move on? In all honesty, I try to stick to the valuation work. Mm -hmm. I would say issues do arise. I absolutely raise my hand because I want to understand. I want to make sure I'm understanding this component to this company because I want to know how it may impact the value and the work that I'm doing. I mean, I'm engaged to do my part of what may be a much larger puzzle. I'm biased. I think it's an important part of the puzzle, and I take the part of the puzzle what I do very seriously. But I know there's other things going on with businesses mm-hmm. and the transactions and the lives of, of the business owners. So we do try to stick to the valuation component, but by all means, if something looks strange or I don't understand, we absolutely ask about it because I, I want to understand. I want to make sure that we're doing the best job we can. Understood. Yeah, I mean, business owners, entrepreneurs, they have a couple of unique challenges. Number one, everybody's coming to them usually for answers, right? So they're trying to run a business, answer questions, and then they're trying to get their arms wrapped around all of these areas of the business that need to be worked on to help accelerate value. And then the second issue is typically they have a very large percentage of their personal balance sheet tied up in the company. And so that's where the pre-liquidity event planning comes in and the value of 
understanding different types of structures and how that can potentially accelerate that value in the future. And that's not to say I've had a lot of business owners to ask me, how can I increase the value of my business? I want to exit in three years. I've got this valuation now. How do I get ready to sell my business to maximize its value? And, and my, my response is keep doing what you're doing. Typically, business owners have done a good job, and typically they're very proud of what they've done, and they should be. But a lot of times they may neglect the corporate documents. So I, I say the first thing to do really to focus in on is make sure your your house is in order and your financials are in good shape. Your corporate books are in good shape. Your inventory counts are in good shape. Your customers go through all those things, these check boxes. And because what you want to do is you want to increase the value of the business by one, obviously increasing cash flow. And that's just running your business as efficiently and as profitably as you can. But you want to lower the risk to a buyer. And that means if you have, if they're coming in to do due diligence and they find errors in your financial statements, or the books aren't clean, it's just going to raise red flags and it's going to increase their uncertainty. And again, going back to the, the valuation side, the higher the uncertainty, the higher the risk that they're going to perceive and the higher the rate of return they're going to want, the lower they're going to be willing to pay you for it. So I think it's all about increasing cash flow and reducing risk. No, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned, I think I read a, a statistic that nearly 80% of businesses that are put on the market don't sell. And that's mainly because it starts breaking down in the due diligence process. We've had several clients go through that due diligence process, and I try to give them a heads up, like, this is going to be brutal. The bankers come in, and they take them through two months of just... Root canal. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's tough. But they're getting them ready for all the questions that they're going to be asked. So some of our previous conversations, I mentioned a pilot that our team is on at, at UBS that is... Um, a tool that can kind of go in and it's a scoring tool that goes into some of these qualitative factors that we're talking about and helps them sort of self-analyze the company in all these different areas of the company to ensure that they're ready for an exit and that they're attractive to a potential acquirer and that the business is transferable because if everything relies on the owner and if they're gone, this business is going to fail in a few months, then there's not a lot of value there without that person, right? It's a lifestyle business. It's, yeah, more of a lifestyle business. Nothing wrong with lifestyle businesses either. It just depends on what the goals and objectives are of that of that owner. And so at some point, they're going to have to transition out of the business where they, <laughs> one way or another. And so there's a huge lack of planning, real kind of exit planning that, that, that goes goes on with, with owners, mainly just because they're so dang busy. That's great stuff, Edward. Great stuff. I mean, we're talking about a lot of stuff here, unpacking a lot of a lot of details here. Well, Josh, your point's really well taken. Your ability to to go in and run those are you ready to sell some of those qualitative aspects and, and your point's well taken. I mean, lack of management depth. If somebody wants to sell their business and exit and retire, well, if they don't have management depth to take over their roles and responsibilities, mm-hmm. one, they're not going to get a good price or two, they're going to be ended up working for the buyer for a period of time until they can transfer that to somebody within the buyer's organization. And they can take their knowledge of the business, the operations, the customer relationships, et cetera. That has to be transferable. Right. 
No, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the time, the life cycle there, not including like starting the business and building the business, raising money and what have you, but the time that you say, okay, I would like to exit this company. I'd like to monetize all this hard work for the last 20 years. I'd like to monetize this. I think the first step is to really sit down and, and really go through all these details and look for for ways to, first of all, is, is getting a good business valuation, right? And kind of getting a starting point. Then identifying the potential holes and in and in, in things that could be worked on to help accelerate the value. So, you know, if you're in an industry that trades between a, a four multiple and 10 multiple, you know, what's the difference between somebody who trades at a four versus a 10? If you can help that company move from a six handle to a seven handle, that's a big move. It's really, really important stuff. I mean, for these business owners, you know, for what is most likely the largest financial asset on their balance sheet, not to have a good plan in place. And a plan can't be done but just by one person. You got to have a whole team wrapped around you. M&A attorneys and bankers and business valuation specialists and hopefully a good wealth management team that can help you walk through those, check those important boxes. Yeah. As I say to most people that come to me saying, I want to sell my businesses, I tell them you only get to sell your business once, typically. Mm-hmm. You want to do it right. And they come to me and they say, you know, what's my value worth? And and what does that mean? I say, my my goal is to give you the best valuation I possibly can. One, because, well, obviously, I don't want you to leave money on the table. But two, I don't want you to pass up an opportunity you ought to take. Right. No, absolutely. A proper business valuation is a very, very important component in the team, the advisory team that, that an owner needs to to have around them. What should they be looking for? What questions should they be asking the valuation specialists? You know, obviously start with their, their experience and their qualifications. You know, have they done valuation work for a while? Do they have any valuation certifications or qualifications specifically? And then beyond general business valuation experience, do they have any experience in your industry itself? And then what processes do they use? If they start describing they're going to value your business using something that doesn't sound like an asset approach, an income approach, or a market approach, I would start asking them why, because they really ought to be sticking to generally accepted approaches or methods. You may ask them how they would treat specific issues or maybe unusual situations that may be present in your business. Does your business own the real property or is the real property owned by a separate partnership that the business rents the property from? Does your business have any excess assets such as cash value of life insurance and how might they deal with that? You might ask what tools they have. Do they subscribe to these merger and acquisition databases? They're not cheap. So, you know, if they don't have the necessary tools to do the valuation property, that could be something to ask about. I'd ask them if their valuations have ever been challenged by the IRS or or some other parties. And what, what was the outcome of that? Mm-hmm. But in terms of your business, you have to be open and honest with the valuation professional about your business. They may have a lot of experience valuing businesses. They may have a lot of experience valuing businesses like yours in your industry. But all businesses are different. So we're valuation professionals. And again, we may have a lot of experience and a lot of industry experience specific to your niche. But every business is different and nobody's going to know the business as well as you. So we're definitely relied upon getting good information. And most of that's going to come from the business owner or their designated parties, their CFO or controller, or operations person, whoever that may be. Well, I was going to wrap this up by saying there you have it, business valuation 101, but I think it might be more like 201 or 301, uh, some of the details here. But no, just uh, 
all very, very good, very helpful information. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope the audience learned something here. And we walk through the reason why you would want to want to have evaluation done on your on your company, some of the key definitions, methodologies, and some of the qual- qualitative factors that can affect the value, and some advice on on what questions to ask your valuation specialist. So, Edward, a sincere thank you very much. Thank you. You were very generous with your time, and we thank you for that. Uh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you all. And if you or anybody in the audience ever, ever has any questions, please reach out to me. I'm Edward Fowler. I'm with Briggs of the Selco. My direct office line is 512-823-1215. Happy to help any way I can. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Fantastic. Awesome, Edward. Thank you. This is Josh Pottinger and Jason Chorgianis. And remember this, know your options, be informed, and plan early. Until next time, take care.